0: Again, another of the hot topics, and I think this has great relevance for us, and I'll try to help you understand, and really, it's local versus universal church. Now, for most, you don't hear it phrased that way, but what you will hear phrased is if you listen to Christian radio today... If you listen to popular preachers today, and you'll hear the church spoken of. And what people mean when they say that is, all believers, it is preached and believed and assumed that when you're saved, you become part of some universal church. So what I want to show you tonight is, That is a myth, that there is the family of God, and we will look at that, and the family of God is when you are born again, when you become children of God. God becomes your father. That terminology is very consistent with family of God. Now somebody asked me, they said, well, is that phrase family of God in the Bible? No, it's not. But Jesus, and then later Peter even talked about the new birth in First Peter. Jesus told Nicodemus twice, you must be born again or you will not see the kingdom of heaven. And then he said later, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. And so it's the new birth. You are not a child of God without the new birth. When you become a child of God, you become part of the family of God. So then there's this question. Is there a difference between the family of God, which would comprise all believers? That's why someone that's not part of Hope Baptist Church, but they're saved, they would be my brother or sister in Christ because we're part of the family of God. Is there a difference between the family of God and the Lord's churches? I believe the Bible unequivocally and absolutely says yes. I don't see anywhere in the Bible that there is this order, there are these directions for the family of God at large to do anything. But I do see specific instructions. I do see specific tasks. I do see specifics related to the Lord's churches. And so, let's take a look at what the Bible has to say, and I want to grab one more thing here so that I actually know, because I I hand wrote the outline for our our ladies that do that, and so I want to make sure I, I know their outline, because this is one that we're going to look at a number of passages here first. So, let's first look at church defined, the church defined, and so... There are really two options that are spoken of today. There's two options. One is local or visible assembly. Local, visible assembly. Now, I want to tell you, I only use that terminology because it will help you understand because there's so much confusion today. And I want to tell you this, you, all you must do is you must be born again. You don't have to be a Baptist to go to heaven. You don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. You don't have to be part of one of the Lord's churches to go to heaven. But you must be born again. This is not to preach and teach some exclusive club. This is to try to teach and preach what the Bible says. But when I use terminology like local, visible assembly, it's sort of like saying wet water. And how many of us say, would you like some wet water? You'd be like, weirdo. What are you talking about, wet water? What other kind of water is there? You know, you could say, oh, well, it could be an ice form. No, but water in its form is wet, right? So understand. So now let's listen to this. It's local visible assembly. The word church is from the Greek word ekklesia. And listen to, it's 118 times in the New Testament, 118 times, it's translated church, 115 times, it's translated assembly, three times. Now I will tell you that. Listen to the definition. Here's just the definition. You've you've heard it just to be a called out assembly, but here's a broader definition. It's a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place or assembly. It's you can have an ecclesia. In the three times it's used, it refers to a governmental assembly, a governmental ecclesia. And so of the 118 times, that happens three times. You can have a church body that is an ecclesia or an assembly. It would kind of be an oxymoron to say a visible assembly, right? Because anytime people assemble, you can see the assembly, right? But there is great confusion on this whole dynamic of whether or not there's a difference between the family of God and the Lord's churches. Now, let me tell you why I think this is important. It is, first, it's to help us appreciate that when you look at the New Testament, it's written to the Lord's churches, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. First and second Thessalonians. First and second Timothy. <makes> Titus. <makes> Philemon. <makes> Hebrews. <makes> James. But James is written to the scattered tribes, right? But most of it's written to the Lord's churches. Jesus, when he came to this earth, came to seek and to save that which is lost, Jesus had two primary missions. One was that he would go to the cross, suffer for all that would believe, be buried and rise again, and that he would establish the means by which the gospel would be taken to all the world. And if all Christians are part of this we'll get there. But here's what I believe. The Bible when it we uses the word church, it always refers to what you see. There's not two definitions. There's not two kinds of churches. So what you see here is it could be called Hope Baptist Assembly. We assemble together and you see us. It's the group of people that covenant together. And we see that we see that there's no such thing as anything else but a visible assembly. And just so you know, there are times that the word church is used generically. Let's turn over to your Bibles, Matthew sixteen, eighteen. Matthew sixteen, eighteen. The word church can be used institutionally or generically but that doesn't change the meaning of it. You're all familiar with Matthew 16:18, maybe not when I read that text, but when you get there you'll see this. Jesus says this in Matthew 16:18 and he says, "I say unto thee that thou art Peter, Petros that means small pebble, small stone. Thou art Peter and upon this rock, Petra, that means rock or huge boulder." Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, Jesus talks about his institution, the institution of his church. What he is distinguishing there in Matthew sixteen eighteen is he's distinguishing his kind of assembly versus other assemblies. I think we would all say, yeah, that's right, but then you'd say, how do you distinguish them? That's not going to be the objective of my message tonight, but... Are there places that call themselves churches that are not the Lord's? I think we would all intuitively say yes. Then we'd have a long discussion, and that may well be worth another message, that says, what determines whether a church is the Lord's or not? Ultimately, it's God. He's the one that removes the candlestick or removes the authority from those ecclesias that aren't His, right? I think immediately we would say, well, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Roman Catholicism, they are not the Lord's, nor were they ever the Lord's. And this is not an opportunity to bash on Roman Catholicism, but it's not anywhere close to what the Bible teaches. Nearly every single major doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church violates clearly stated scripture. It is a complete institution of the devil. Now that's rough in Cincinnati when so many claim to be part of that church. So we would all agree that there are some churches that aren't the Lord's, but what determines that? Well, it's it's the Word of God. So when Jesus established His kind of assembly, Matthew 16, 18 isn't talking about some generic, invisible church. It's also, it's important, look over to Ephesians 5, 23. Let me show you... A verse that people like to use that try to teach that there is something bigger than local assemblies. I will tell you that I wish the word had been translated assembly. I wish baptism had been translated immersion. Church is not an errant translation. Baptism is not an errant translation. But what happens is, when you have the word church and you have the word baptism, it leaves a whole lot to interpretation. When you have assembly, it doesn't leave a lot to interpretation, does it? It was purposefully called church in order to give broader flexibility. It was purposefully called baptism. It was transliterated in order to allow... King James was an Episcopalian. They poured... If he had it translated immersion, then it would have identified his Episcopalian church that he declared he was the head of as in error according to the English. But if you have it transliterated by taking the Greek letters and putting them in the English letters, then it's up to the beholder, but not really when you find out what the word means. It means to immerse or hide from view. Church. What is church? It's an assembly. It's a visible assembly. That's kind of silly to say a visible assembly. I guess maybe they could be hiding. But it's an assembly that you see. Look over to Matthew, excuse me, Ephesians, Ephesians 5:23. It says this. It says for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, when you see that in verse 23, this is saying, see, Christ is the head of the church. Well, they claim then that this is that there is one church that Christ is the head of. Well, we have to go back to its context and say, is there a universal husband? Is there a universal wife? Because the husband is the head of the wife. He's talking generically and institutionally. If I use the word and I say, the automobile, you know I'm talking generically about the automobile, right? You don't imagine that there's some mystic, mystical, invisible automobile out there, do you? You clearly understand by its context that I'm speaking generically about the automobile. Jesus, as He says that Christ is the head of the church, He's the head of every single, autonomous, independent church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head, just as Randall's the head of His home. Jesus is the head of every one of His churches. Just like, Dean, you're the head of your home, but there's not one husband that's the head of all the wives. There's Jesus is the head of each individual church. Is that impossible for Jesus to do? It's not. It's It's not inconsistent. So what you have to be careful of is that you don't see generic or institutional uses of the word church and assume that it must be talking about something else. If you listen to modern, popular music, you will hear it, you will be inundated with this. And so you say, well, why does it matter? This just feels like some kind of mumbo-jumbo that doesn't matter. Here's why it matters. Do you know there are many that attend our church church? And they are good-hearted, believers in Jesus Christ, but they do not understand even the concept of joining one of the Lord's churches. That's foreign to them. I know if you've grown up and you were a Baptist that you take that for granted. But I will tell you this, that I meet people that I absolutely know By their testimony, by their evidence, by their fruits, as much as I can know that they're believers in Jesus Christ, but they float and they freelance and they never commit and because of this false doctrine. Parents, I want to tell you this is an important doctrine for you. Your children are at great risk of being inundated with this false doctrine and here's what happens. It's that we have the first generation that I've ever seen that grow up and they do not value a commitment and a service to God in one of the Lord's churches. It's sort of freelance Christianity and they pop in when they feel like it and pop out when they feel like it and they never do make a commitment only if they want to. And you've got to understand that could never be the way that any Organization could ever function, could it be? If you showed up to work here and didn't show up for three weeks there and you never made a commitment that you would be where they told you to be or ever do anything that they wanted you to do, you wouldn't be of much help, would you? But that permeates the landscape. And I'm, I'm not suggesting that people have attitudes about it. There is widespread ignorance. Remember, ignorance is without knowledge. The Lord's plan is that He would receive glory in His church. And it's each independent, autonomous church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Lord's plan. And as we talked this morning in 1 Corinthians, it's a royal pain in the neck, is it not? When there are wars and fightings and contention and difficulties in the Lord's churches. As I've said before, every one of you have a story where you've been hurt. And maybe, most of you, your stories are the ones that hurt you the most, are Christians. But nonetheless, it was God's plan. Jesus Christ, during His earthly ministry, established the first church in Jerusalem. We'll look at that in a few weeks. So the first thing I want you to know is, definitionally, By the Greek itself, there's nothing in the Greek that would ever indicate that there is anything but an assembly that you could see. That's consistent with the scriptures. Don't be taken. There's Out of the 118 times, there's about 14 times. About 14 times where the word is used institutionally or generically. Don't make that cause you to wonder and consider a new definition. Well, the second meaning, the second meaning is universal. So you really have two options for what is a church. You have that it is a local visible assembly. It's what you see when people come to a church. They, they expect to see people that are committed together, but it's not just freelance. It's a commitment. Now that is, that is a foreign concept to many people today. It is amazing. But then there's this universal church. Now I will tell you that There are many good teachers and preachers that hold to both universal church and local church, but the problem is I don't see anywhere in the meaning of the word, nor do I in the text of scripture, that would indicate any way, shape, or form that there are two kinds of churches, local and universal. John MacArthur holds to universal church. That always surprises me. He's a man that meticulously studies the etymology of words and breaks them down and Yet, he has bought into this concept of a universal church. And so what you'll see is there's two options for a universal church. It's visible or invisible. So, do you know what the word Catholic means? It means universal. The Roman Catholic, or if you will, the Roman universal church... They claim, now you could talk to a thousand Roman Catholics and they would deny this till they're blue in the face, but it's absolutely true dogma. It's the fear they put, but they water it down any time. When you have a false religion, all you do is you adapt and adjust because you don't want to offend anybody. You just want to keep them in your clutches. You following me? So ignorance of Roman Catholics should not be surprising. Here's the reality. The sad part is there's widespread ignorance of Baptists. In Baptists, we should be known for meticulously studying the Word of God. But the Roman Universal Church, they claim, and this is in the Council of Trent, go Google it, by their own words, if the Pope has never reversed a previous council, then it was ex cathedra, and it is still valid today, and he has not reversed that. It says that if you or i or anyone that is not part of the roman universal church let him be anathema or that word means accursed or damned to hell do you understand now when roman catholics so feared you ever you ever been around roman catholics and they absolutely fear being excommunicated you ever see that because they do understand what's behind that teaching They do understand that if I've been excommunicated from a Roman Catholic church, the teaching of the church is, you can't go to heaven now, you've been removed, and now you're doomed. Now, then they would say there's hope in purgatory, though that's nowhere in the Bible. So, it's clear, you'll see a better understanding when people are worried about being excommunicated. Now, is church discipline a biblical concept? It is. Is removal from a church, a biblical concept? It is. Now, understand this. If we're all part of the church already, if you get removed, if you're part of the church by salvation and you get removed, consistency would mean that you're not saved, right? You see, because when you're saved, you become part of the family of God and We'll see this in a little bit, and you know this, the way you become part of one of the Lord's churches is through scriptural baptism, right? That's how they were added in Acts chapter 2. Now, we'll see this later in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 as we get there. Church discipline that says, remove such and one from church membership. And the reason why someone would be removed from church membership is for the destruction of the flesh. Now, that there's a concept there, is it not? That when we would be part of one of the Lord's churches. There's special blessings. When you're removed from membership of the Lord's church, apparently Satan gets more access to the flesh. Is that consistent with Scripture? Because the objective is never to... When somebody's kicked out of a... Or kicked out. Removed from church membership. Kicked out. Never come back. Hit the road, Jack. Never. No, that's not the point. It's always restoration. When someone's removed from membership... They are removed so that Satan will have more access to them because there's protection in the Lord's churches. You see, that's why the Comforter was sent. The Comforter was sent to come alongside his churches and there's great blessing and great protection. You know, the Holy Spirit already existed. You understand that, right? And so the Holy Spirit was sent with a special mission. Not that it began the indwelling. We may talk about that in a future hot topic, but just so you know, That the Roman universal church, the Roman Catholic church teaches that if you and I are not part of that institution, that we are to be anathema, accursed, or damned to hell. I have yet to find a Roman Catholic. I had a conversation with a Roman Catholic priest and he denied that. I used to carry a copy of the Council of Trent with me. That's useless too. Don't do that. All it does is just create an inflamed argument. It's no point. You know what people need? They need the gospel. Don't you argue with people and fight over this. This is not even for you to have a discussion with most people. This is for your benefit. And parents, I want you to know this, so that you teach your children the importance of being part of one of the Lord's churches, committing yourself and serving Him so that they don't grow up with this freelance Christianity concept that says, well, you know, okay, surah, surah, what will be will be. I'll just kind of serve the Lord that like I feel it. But you know what? He, The Lord says this, that He established His churches for His glory and we ought to be a part of it. And so you see the the visible. Now then what happened is this. Then you say, okay, we have a universal visible. What's the universal invisible? Well, the Protestant Reformation. You understand this, Baptists aren't Protestants. You know what Protestants are? Protestants are still Catholic. Do you know that? They are Protestant Catholics. The goal of the Protestant Reformation was that they would correct and reform. Have you heard them called reformers? Their goal was to reform the Roman universal church so they would reform her and get her aligned more scripturally. Now here's what happened. You get people like Martin Luther, who by all evidence was probably a believer, though he had a lot of of sin issues just like you and I. He hated Baptists. And you get, get a guy like Martin Luther, he knew that salvation was by grace and faith in Christ alone. It was grace alone. Martin Luther realized that. And you do understand the Roman Catholic Church teaches faith plus works. That's, that's blasphemy. That's not the true gospel. I don't say that in hate. You know this, just so you know. I do pay attention, if we had a Roman Catholic audience, and I know this will go on the web... And I'm okay with that. But if we had a Roman Catholics, we had Roman Catholics here, I'd be much more um, gentle. But I'm since we don't, I'm going to be clear with you so you understand. Remember, this is important for you and your children, so you can minister to people better. This is not something for you to get into an argument about. You see, we misunderstand truth sometimes. Sometimes we we take truth and we take it as an intellectual exercise. This should all truth should lead to practical benefit. Don't look at truth as some intellectual exercise. It should lead to something that Christ wanted, or it's not truth. You following me? So don't get in arguments with people about this. We can have discussion, but this is for your benefit. Now, the Protestants, they realized that the Roman Catholic Church was so messed up that they couldn't be part of it. They were true believers, and they said... We can't be part of this. But you see, they knew the teaching of the Roman universal church, right? The Roman Catholic church. They knew that when they left the Roman Catholic church and they were ultimately excommunicated, they knew what the Roman Catholic church was teaching. They knew that said, wait a minute, Martin Luther said, I know I'm a Christian. And so you can know. You meet many people and they say, well, you can't know. It's because they don't know the Bible. Wouldn't that be a terrible father that would say you could never know that you have a home in heaven? That he's just, he wants you to guess the rest of your life? That's a father that is, is manipulative. That's not God. He made it so crystal clear and then he said, here's the evidences so that you can know. Well, the Protestants came out and they're like, you know what? I know I'm a Christian. And they said, so the church, you see what they should have done was look around and say, Jesus said in Matthew sixteen eighteen, upon this rock will I build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Death will never come to the Lord's church. Well, if it's not the Roman Catholic church, what other kind of church exists? You know, they all knew about them. Calvin knew about the Baptists, right? He called them ignorant cobblers and because we are always common people, right? We didn't have the sophisticated degrees. We weren't highfalutin enough for them, right? And so what they should have done is say, it's not this institution, so where is the Lord's churches? And you could find them. Now, it is becoming harder and more difficult, is it not? It is a struggle today to find a church that will hold to the truths of God's Word and really love Jesus Christ and love souls. I'm not saying we're there yet. You following me? we got a long way to go. But that's the goal, is it not? That we would preach the truth, preach it in love, and that we would love Jesus Christ and love souls, and this would be a dynamic place to be that is a refuge for believers and a a... A just a, a refuge for the lost, and we would care for the lost. That's the, that's the goal. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. So the Protestants came out and they said, I know I'm a believer. And they said, the church must not be visible, it must be invisible. You don't see it in Scripture. You don't see it in Scripture. Now, let me show you then quickly. Look over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, let me tell you that, generally speaking, when you see the word baptism in the Bible, assume it's talking about water baptism. When Jesus is talking about that He will baptize with the Holy Ghost, that's different. But understand that most uh, every time where Christ is not speaking about that special time where he would empower his church at Jerusalem in a mighty way and then later in acts chapter 10 empower and demonstrate that the gospel was for the gentiles as well baptism is generally talking about water baptism look at acts chapter 2 verse 41 how do you become part how are you added how do you join one of the lord's churches it's look at acts 2:41 after peter preaches on the day of pentecost And these people's hearts were pricked. 3,000 souls. Look at verse 41. It says, Then they that gladly received His Word were baptized. You see, baptisms for believers, for those that gladly receive the Word of God. That's why we don't baptize babies. You don't see that anywhere in the Bible. What's the benefit of baptizing a baby anyway? Baptism doesn't get you to heaven. And so... It's for believers, but he says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and look at this, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Added unto who? The church of Jerusalem. Now look at verse 47. It continues that they were in one accord, and they did eat meals in gladness and singleness of heart. But look at verse 47, it says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church... Daily, such as should be saved. Now, what's interesting is, <clears throat> I might get some people, they'll say, see, it says the church. That's because at this time, there was one church. <laughs> they hadn't had persecution, so there was the church. <laughs> so it's kind of like if you were saved, you'd be like, well, honey, where do you want to go? Church of Jerusalem, or Church of Jerusalem, or Church of Jerusalem? Well, I think I'll go to Church of Jerusalem. Right? It was the church. So when you see the church used in Acts... It's usually talking about the church at Jerusalem. So now understand this. How do you become a member of one of the Lord's churches? Water, baptism, right now. Look over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Protestants knew this. You see, the Roman Catholic Church... Still practices closed baptism. Baptists practiced closed baptism. What that means is, the only kind of baptism that we will recognize is baptism by a Baptist church that recognizes baptism by a Baptist church that recognizes baptism by a Baptist church. church. It's closed baptism. The Roman Catholic Church would only recognize baptism by a a Roman Catholic Church of a Roman Catholic Church of a Roman Catholic Church of a Roman Catholic Church, you see when the Protestants came out of the Roman Catholic Church, they knew how you were added to a church. They knew that. You see, because you understand what Roman Catholics are, right? They're Baptists gone bad. I mean, the church at Jerusalem, look, I'm a Baptist because I believe that's the kind of church the Lord established. If you think it's a Presbyterian church, go be a Presbyterian. And so I don't say that to be a smart aleck, but I'll tell you this, when the, Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against his kind of church, I want to be part of one of his churches. And we know there are a bunch of false ones, so you got to do some work, right? What, what kind of church represents his church, right? And so the Protestants came out and they knew, well, the way that you are part of this Roman universal church, this Roman universal visible church, is through water baptism, right? And they said, but I know I'm saved. And they said, well, the church is universal invisible. Though nowhere in the Bible do you see that this invisible church ever does anything. Nowhere in the Bible do you ever see that we as all believers ever coordinate anything. Do you see that? I don't. Not that we don't fellowship and love one another and have fellowship one with another with believers in Christ. But I will tell you this, it's it's enough for us to figure out how to cooperate together, is it not? But let me show you what they teach in Romans, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Look at this. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Now let's just pause there. Here's what they'll teach. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. They will teach this, that you are baptized by the Spirit into the universal body of Christ. They, this is their only text that they have. They knew this, that you become part of a church through baptism. So it must be some kind of mystical baptism. So they said the baptism with the Holy Spirit, and it is still taught today for those adults that were in Sunday school last week. And Eric, and I wouldn't have said this if he hadn't, he read a statement that talked about baptism with the Holy Spirit into the universal church. And he goes, and he must have known that, um, and he'd be okay, he'll listen to this on the way home Wednesday. He must have known that wasn't quite right. He goes, you agree to that, don't you, Pastor? And I and no, I thought, <laughs> I, I really don't, don't ask me that. And so I sat there, and so then I I smoothly just said, no, I didn't know what else to say. And so it's a false teaching that there is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, we will look at that more fully. But I want to tell you this. Now let's look at verse 13 with its understanding of the context. I want to tell you this. First, who is the book of 1 Corinthians written to? The church at Corinth. Okay, and it's also written to all those that would follow, but look, look at this in the, in the context of it's written to the Church of Corinth. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Now, understand this. Do you know this? Who adds to the church? God. God does, right? I, I, I say this regularly. If you're waiting on me to ask you to join the church, it ain't gonna happen. I'm not saying that if somebody asks you, say, Well, you ought to join the church. I want the Lord to add you. In fact, I want it to be of the Spirit of God. I want it to be by the Spirit. You following me? Verse 13, I want it to be the Holy Spirit that leads you to be a member of Hope Baptist Church. For by one Spirit, that's what I want. I want it to be of the Lord. Do you know this? Someone asked me the other day, they said, Do you think God's given you the ability to manipulate people? (laughs) And I said, well, I don't know if I'd put it that way. Um, but I said, um, I know I can move people, and there's a great responsibility that I try to do it and move them toward what's good. And so it is this: I want it. So that's why I'm not here to sell you on membership in Hope Baptist Church. I want it to be by the Spirit. You follow me now? Let's look at verse 13. For by one Spirit, for by the Spirit of God, are we all baptized into one body? So this. For those that want to be part of this church, they need to be led by the Spirit and have scriptural baptism so that they can be part of one body. You can't be part of two churches at the same time. Did you know in our Constitution? It seems a bit silly, but it says you cannot be a member of two churches at once. I think that's because I've used constitutions from past. It's because... There was a problem with that. I'll be a member of this church. I'll be a member of this church. You can't be a member of two bodies at once. Just one at a time. So for by one spirit, are we all baptized into one body? And so this, it's by the spirit. We want to be led by the spirit so that we are part of one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, it's whether we be bond or free. We have all been... to. Made to drink into one spirit. Look at this. Verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. He's speaking specifically to the church at Corinth here. Will you allow me to continue? This is such a great verse. We will do this in detail when we get to chapter 12 in a couple years. And so that's why we're doing it tonight. I love Corinthians. It's going to take a while. But look at verse 26. If this is referring to some universal church of all believers... Look at verse 26. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. Who's he talking to? Church of Corinth. I want to tell you this. I should have Googled it to find out some kind of tragic situation of somebody in Czechoslovakia. That sounds cool. That's this... Something I'd like in Czechoslovakia. And so, find out some believer that suffered in Czechoslovakia. I think it happened yesterday. Did you suffer? What happens if I would have died yesterday? Would you suffer? Because you love me. You know, if you get a new car, if I'm right with God, I won't be envious and jealous and hateful and mean and try to think that you're, you know, a bit too materialistic. You know, all those we struggle with those, but I will rejoice with you, hopefully. Because you know what I want to see? I want to see God use you mightily. I want to see you grow up and love the Lord. Oh man. But his best chance is by watching you. Do you know this? I know this. When I'm I'm so glad your surgery went well. I rejoice over that. And you make me never want to have gallbladder issues. But I love hearing about your lives. I love hearing about all your lives. When something good happens, I rejoice. When you pain, I pain. Not nearly as much as you. But I didn't suffer for anybody in Czechoslovakia. Did you? When it says, and you are the body of Christ. You see, I want to tell you this. Those that believe in the universal church would never state that Corinth was an independent, autonomous, fully functioning body of Christ with Christ as their head and that they had a head... Eyes, nose, fingers, hands, that's all talked about in this passage if you're wondering. Why is he going through that detail? Because each church is a fully functioning church. Now listen to this. When we get to 1 Corinthians 12, in a couple years, that we're going to talk about gifts. Now you should be looking this up prior to this. You should know your gifts. What are the gifts that God's given you? Because that will help you function better in this church. So that you know the gifts that you should be using for the glory of God to help you function in this church. You know, it's, it would be, it's a train wreck, right? If somebody says, well, I, I should be preaching. And they're horrible. You know, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. No, God didn't gift you that way, right? It's just like if, um, You know, you know. I've gone through the gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, go through them. Do you know this? And when you understand the gifts God's given you, it should be to God's glory, but you should leverage them. Do you know one gift I don't have? I don't have the gift of mercy. You're like, duh. You know, it'd be cool if I did, but I don't. I have other gifts and I need to know about them. But I know that's one of them in Romans 12. And I'm like, oh, man, that'd be so cool. But I know people that have the gift of mercy. And you need to know that so that we know how to operate and fully function. I'm going to talk, not, not anymore tonight, but I wanted you to know that, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that, let me tell you, 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. that's not the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The two times that the baptism of the Holy Spirit happened, no one laid hands on them and everybody spoke in tongues. When you were saved, did you speak in tongues? Now, I know, boy, if I was in a Pentecostal church, they'd be like, yeah, yes, I was. You know, but, um, you know, we won't go there. But, no, you didn't. I got good news for you. You weren't baptized with the Holy Spirit either. You were saved by the quickening of the Holy Spirit, regenerated, And born again by faith in Jesus Christ and repenting of your sin. Isn't that good news? And you were made a child of God. And then the next step of obedience would be scriptural baptism, is it not? And that's when you join one of the Lord's churches. And so my whole point, why this is so important to me, why this is so passionate, I will tell you this, in 30 plus years of ministry, not as a pastor, but just in ministry, I've I've done it. I'm telling you this. I see the landscape changing dramatically and it's, it is changing so rapidly in the last 10 years that I will tell you this, most people, if they ever listen to this message, their head would be spinning. They wouldn't know what I was talking about. It's such a foreign concept that they would think I'm some kind of elitist, that I'm some kind of weirdo. But this was common teaching because it's... The only way that the Bible speaks of it, it only speaks of a church being the kind that you see here. Because here's the thing. What happens is people then say, well, the Great Commission was given to me generically. No, the Great Commission was given to that first church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're like, oh, how do you know that? Well, look at 1 Corinthians 12, 28, since you're there. And I'll close with this. I'm just about done. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Who were the first members of the first church according to 1 Corinthians 12, 28? You see that? And God hath set some in the church, particularly that church of Jerusalem. Who was the first? The first members were the apostles, right? The first members of the first church of the Lord Jesus Christ were the apostles. Now turn back to Matthew chapter 28. Was the Great Commission given to Christians generically? Was it just given to those that were present when he gave the great commission? Look at verse 16, Matthew 28, verse 16. Now let's get who's there, who's there, let's see. Then who was there? The eleven disciples. Who were the eleven disciples? The twelve apostles minus Judas. He had hung himself, he was dead after he betrayed Jesus Christ. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them, verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Probably Thomas. Verse 18. And now Jesus came and spake unto them. Who did he speak to? Who did he speak to? The eleven apostles. The eleven disciples. And he said, all power. That's the word for authority. It's not dunamis, which means, you know, um, explosive power. That's the word for um, authority. All power. All authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. He commands the eleven apostles. I'll tell you this. This great commission is given to the Lord's churches. Uniquely and specially. Because most people understand this. Most people know you can't go baptize people yourself as a Christian. Because if this is just written to Christians, then go baptize them in your backyard pool. But most people go. I don't think that that would be right. I did talk to one guy. You know this is always going to happen to me. I said, nobody would think they had the authority to baptize. And he goes, well, I baptized my own son in our bathtub. And I'm like, well, you know, there's occasional nuts that live. You know, I didn't tell him that. But, I mean, the guy I was talking to said, well, well I did. And I'm like, okay, most people, 99.9999%, you are the .0001. <laughs> Great. Thank you for meeting me. And so, um, but it's like this. Most people understand this. They understand that I don't have the authority. I don't have the authority. You know, I had somebody that was upset the last time they were here when we had the Lord's Supper. And it's just for our membership. And so I went and visited him. And I asked him this question. I said, well, you have any unleavened bread here? She had any unleavened grape juice? I said, you think we can have the Lord's Supper right here? They said, no, of course not. I said, who has the authority to administer the Lord's Supper? They said, churches. I said, spot on. See, they understood that truth. And I said, the only difference here is that we just believe it's for this specific body of believers. It's not to be exclusive or to be mean-spirited or to be hateful. It's that that's what a church is. You see, and understanding this as a church helps us understand closed communion, right? Because really it ought to be called biblical church communion. Because if a church, it's a church ordinance, it's only for that church, is it not? That's why we practice closed communion, because open communion is consistent with universal church. We are not universal church. Open communion, open baptism, open church. You see, we believe that it's a church made up of baptized, born-again believers that are specifically covenant-together And when Paul said, and you are the body of Christ to that church at Corinth, I believe he can say that to every one of his true churches. The Great Commission, let's look at this and I'll close. He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. If this was just given to the apostles, that means every one of you as individual Christians, that means all of us then have the authority to go baptize. But we know better than that. Verse 20 he says, and I want you to baptize them and I want you to teach them to observe all things whatsoever commanded, you and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now I, you've heard me ask this before, are the apostles are their bodies dead? Mm hmm. He had to be talking about something broader than them because they're dead, right? Now their spirit's alive to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Their spirit's with the Lord, but he said that you'll teach them whatsoever I've commanded and law I'm with you, always, even unto the end of the world. The great commission was given to something that would last longer than their bodies, right? It's because that commission was given to his first church that Jesus established during his earthly ministry. And when the Bible tells us in First Corinthians twelve twenty eight that the first members were the apostles, he then gives them this great commission as that first church at Jerusalem. And when he said, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world, they all died. But guess what? Lo, the Lord is with His churches even to the end of the world because He said upon this rock, upon Himself, upon the Petra, He said upon that boulder, upon that stone, upon that cornerstone that Peter talked about, He said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The abode of the dead, my churches will never die out. And so this isn't, this isn't Baptist pride day. Not at all. This is just a, a teaching for you. Now understand this. This is relevant. Here's the point. Freelance Christianity can be found nowhere in the Bible. Uniting and joining with one of the Lord's churches, humanly speaking, is hard. Freelance Christianity sure does look appealing sometimes, doesn't it? But it's not God's way. God's ways are always best. They're not always easy, but they're best. We see no validation in the Bible for anything about a universal church, either visible or invisible. Let's pray.